Welcome, everyone, to our latest edition of BAMS Radio here on this Tuesday night. I'm your co-host, Drew DeArmond, of course, with my two usual cohorts, the wizard, Thomas Watts, uh, from the uh, Port City of Mobile. Does a great job producing this show. And we're going to have some special audio for you, too, that I got this past Friday night. He's going to have that all queued up for you because uh, that's just the, what he is. He can figure things out, get things rolling. Uh, and, uh, and as always, we have our third amigo uh, from 19, uh, you know, 88 to 93 and really 89 to 93, a member of the University of Alabama and the uh, 1992 uh, National Championship squad that celebrated the century of champions. Uh, he uh, did an outstanding job from 89 to 93 with the Crimson Tide. But before that, he was at John Carroll Catholic High School and became a, uh, a freshman All-SEC offensive guard for the Crimson Tide and is still, uh, you know, very close to the program. And, uh, you know, with all this uh, stuff going on with the 150th year of uh, celebrating of college football, they're doing a lot of Saturdays in the South. And I think the 90s and the 2000s have been their focus uh, in the last couple of weeks. So that is the era that our good friend William Redfish Barger played in in the 90s in the SEC. William, welcome to the show again tonight. How are you? Doing great, Drew. How about you, man? Doing good, man. And I, I said, and now we'll just get right into it. Alabama covers uh, just by the skin of their teeth, but they get the job done. Uh, is uh, the uh, 47-28 to 28 win over the Texas A&M Aggies. Texas A&M started quickly and looked like they were going to try to control the clock against the University of Alabama, and they did. They came out in, I think it was a 15-play, 75-yard drive and took a 7 to nothing lead, taking up about half of the first quarter. Many were surprised that Alabama deferred, uh, you know, uh, and, and decided to play to their defense due to the fact offensively they're so good. And, and of course, it's been a work in progress on defense. But uh, to give Pete Golding and the crew credit, and I've been critical of them, uh, they did step up after that and make some adjustments. I felt like uh, that the pass rush was the best we've seen this year, and we'll talk about some of the pieces that kind of made that happen as the show goes on. But Alabama gave up another touchdown that really didn't matter. They were controlling the game. And Tua Tungvaloa, uh, for him, he was relatively off, uh, throwing for 293 yards, four TDs, his first interception. It was in the red zone that cost Alabama points near the end of the first half. But still, the, uh, he's, I think he ended up uh, 21 of uh, thir- uh, 34 overall. Uh, had an outstanding game still. And for anyone else, it would be you know all-American effort. But uh, Tua uh, leaves me. He, he has such a high standard of excellence now that what people expect out of him, it's surprising uh, when he makes a mistake or turns the ball over. But Alabama is still very good. And I think the biggest thing, and I'm going to bring William in for this, William, I, I think they found the five offensive linemen that are going to be you know the, the starters going forward. Chris Owens had a quote-unquote knee injury and missed, uh, you know, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, of, uh, of uh, practice time this week, really didn't practice. And Coach Saban admitted by Thursday that he was very unlikely to go. We saw Landon Dickerson get his second start, the first since New Mexico State, and the return to the starting lineup of Cornbread, a.k.a. Deontay Brown at right guard. Uh, I really thought uh, when you consider the opponent and how they played that it was the offensive line's best game. And they've had two straight strong outings against Ole Miss and now against uh, Texas A&M. But your thoughts on this newly configured group of that they uh, started on the O-line? Well, you know, I, I said this after the New Mexico State game and, and was quite baffled by, you know, Coach Saban being less than complimentary of, of you know, Dickerson's performance at center, you know, in that game. Um, you know, yeah, there was some errant snaps, but who cares? Um, you know, that's that's part of it. And, 
you know, I thought that was the best five um, at the time, um, you know, with the, uh, you know, consideration that the cornbread was going to be coming back in a couple of weeks. And that, that hasn't changed my mind. Um, or I haven't changed my mind about that. It was easily the best five I've seen on the field. Um, you know, wished it, you know, it would have gone forward and, and, you know, they would have started off the old miss game with that lineup, but nothing we can do about it now. But yeah, they, that they have, you know, what, what I thought could happen is, is what you saw against Texas A&M. I mean, they're a physical bunch. Um, you know, Evan Neal continues to progress. And, and, you know, I think all three of those guys um, on the inside, Neal, Dickerson, and, and uh, Deontay Brown, you know, they're all guys that generate power at the point of attack. They're, they've got a, all got a nasty streak. They all work hard to finish their blocks. And that, that's what you really, you know, want to see um, out of an interior offensive line. And, um, you know, I've seen a lot of cut-ups that different people have posted on social media. And there, there was some real, real nasty stuff that took place. And, you know, Thomas and I had talked about this um, last week when I was on with him before you, you showed up and I had to run. Um, but, you know, that, that was not a uh, um, real bad front seven that they were going against. I, I think, you know, they don't have the statistics to back it up. And, you know, maybe they don't perform well as a unit. But there's some, some real bad matchups, um, you know, along that, that Texas A&M defensive line, specifically at the defensive tackle position for an opposing offensive line. And, you know, I thought they did really, really well against them, uh, both, you know, run blocking and protecting Tua, um, you know, and, and uh, um, you know, I thought that the two biggest, you know, improvements for me, um, specifically on the offensive side of the football, um, you know, was the offensive line, number one, and, and which I think they progressed, albeit probably not as quickly or as, as uh, um as much as a lot of Alabama fans would like to see. But, you know, when you, when you factor in, if you go back to the start of the season, when you factor in that there were four guys versus Duke that were starting at new positions, including, you know, Leatherwood sliding out to tackle, left tackle, um, you know, I just – I haven't seen where all the concern was, was justified for for the O-line. The, the growing pain should have been expected. Um, but, you know, now they're, they're getting into, you know, the second half of the season, and I think they've really got a chance to do some nice things there. And, and you know, it, it could have been a byproduct, but I think the young man is, you know, finally starting to be patient and, and pick his spots. But, I, you know, the other bright spot for me offensively um, was Najee Harris. I think he has really started to become comfortable as a between-the-tackles runner you know, starting to show more patience, better vision, his footwork's getting better. And, um, you know, not that I'm trying to compare them from a physical standpoint because they're two obviously totally different people. Najee's a much bigger kid. Uh, but, you know, his role really is starting to remind me quite a bit of, uh, you know, how Lane Kiffin utilized uh, Kendrick Drake. Um, you know, he's really starting to become a, a pain in the ass, so to speak, for opposing DCs as a receiving threat out of the backfield, much like Kenyon Drake was. Still, I think he's more comfortable in space, um, whether it's on a running play or, or catching the ball out of the backfield versus, you know, operating between the tackles. It'll be interesting to see if he can, you know, get a little bit more comfortable, you know, with that style of his running. But 
um, you know, I thought those two areas, Drew, were easily the bright spots of the game. I mean, you know, look, I've, I've almost become bored with, with watching the uh, uh, pass and catch contest between the quarterback and the wide receivers every week. So, you know, that, that's to be expected at this stage in the game. But, you know, I, I really thought that the, the bright spots, you know, for me, you know, where the O-line, Najee Harris, you know, I expect Jalen Waddle to do what he did, returning punts every week, so that wasn't a surprise, but it was still good to see him finally get to do it. And, uh, you know, Ali Keho is starting to uh, become a, uh, a special teams terror on a consistent basis as well. So, you know, th- those three areas to me were, uh, um, you know, the bright spots. But what I was thinking about is I know, uh, as I was going to say, Alabama – uh, you know, they, they played pretty well as an offensive line uh, against Ole Miss, but they were working Cornbread back into the lineup. But I thought it was painfully obvious when they put him back as a starter, William. You know, one of the big complaints early, and, uh, and, 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 and the angst coming from the fans and even some uh, people in college football that, that they saw as a deficiency was that Alabama was not able to get a lot of movement at the point of attack and wasn't uh, running the football between the tackles as well. It looked like to me, as soon as uh, we saw Deontay Brown return to the starting lineup against the Texas A&M defense that uh, you know, has, has really been pretty decent against the run, that we saw much better movement and you, and you just, I mean, you, you, you'll know better than me because you played the position, but I thought you could definitely see on the interior of the line that the, uh, the, the, the holes were much bigger and that there was a lot more movement at the point of attack and room for the running backs to operate. Yeah, and it, it's, I'll take it one step further. It's not even so much making things easier for the running backs, but, you know, with, with the zone blocking scheme that they utilize, you know, when because when, nine times out of ten to the play side, you know, the, the, you know depending on if the defensive tackles and a one technique, um, you know, over the left guard in the center, I mean, you know, those two guys are responsible for getting the movement. On the back side, it's typically that guy's going to be in a three technique and, it's going to be the right guard and the right tackle that the combo up to the linebacker on the next level, whichever way that guy goes. Um, you know, if he goes into the right guard um, and the right tackle has got a very difficult job of, of trying to get up, you know, to a play that's going to the other side, but it makes the, the other guys that are doing the combo blocks, you know, um, with, with the, uh, the guy that's got somebody over, it makes their jobs easier because they've got a clean pla- a clean path, um, to the next level because movement's being generated. Um, you know, it's a lot easier when somebody's going backwards to get up, get off the block to help out, you know, on the, at the point of attack and get up there versus there being a stalemate or even penetration. If there's penetration, the guy's got no chance of getting to the next level. Um, but, but, you know, it, to me, yeah, it's going to make the running back's jobs easier, but it makes the whole offensive line play um, you know, cleaner when that type of movement's being generated and, you know, I, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Cole Kublik, but I'm not 100% sure, which for those of you that are on so, social media, he's a great follow. Um, the guy really knows his stuff when it comes to uh, O-line and D-line play. But um, somebody sent me a, a play that, you know, where, where Cornbread was, you know, blocking, you know, combo blocking with the, the offensive tackle, and it was, a you know, a positive run play. And at the very last minute, you know, he came off and you know was basically just got one hand in his hip on the the linebacker and, and sent the kid into orbit. And you know that that's just not normal stuff that you see out of a garden variety 
college offensive guard. I mean, this guy's got some special, special genetics and the way that his body, everybody makes fun of him for being overweight and all that other stuff. But let me tell you something, there, there, there's not a lot of fat in his ass and his thighs and his hips where that power comes from. And, you know, that's something that you're born with. It's up to you and the coaches to develop it and, and you know, allow it to manifest itself. But you, you, this is something that you just don't see year in and year out. Um, you know, and to have three guys like that, um, you know, because Dickerson's nasty, he's a good power generator. You know, Neil's just so much bigger. Um, you know, even though he's still a baby, he's just so much bigger than the guys that he's going up against. He's got the power in his lower body. And then, you know, from the waist up, he's built like an offensive tackle. So he's got the wingspan and the reach to um, work with as well. But that they do some really, really nice things. This is a great game for, you know, armchair, you know, O-line and D-line people that like to look at this kind of stuff, to go back and watch the replay or if you can find the cut-ups on, on Twitter or Instagram, wherever those things come from. I don't even know. But there's some really nice stuff there. Um a lot of really good, you know, interior defensive linemen going backwards, falling on the ground because they've been overpowered. Um, you know, some great, great pass block. And this was easily, if you if you factor in the level of competition, you know, this is easily one of the best performances I've seen in a while from the Alabama offensive line. And I wanted to talk about Brian Robinson, too, because I think he's settling into his role. Uh, he had a nice game. I really like the fact that they put him at fullback on the goal line. He scored a touchdown uh, in this contest. He's a really good receiver. Uh, I know there was some thought, and and I was one of them. I I still don't think they're as good with this a uh, fit with this offense as as Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs. But I think they're starting uh, to to uh, find to find their niche. I, I agree with you on Najee Harris. He's had two straight hundred yard games. He's beginning to run behind his pads, which I like, and square up in the hole. Uh, and I, I've been pleasantly surprised, William, at his ability as a receiver. He hadn't really caught the ball a ton until this year, uh, but uh, I think he's uh, as good as we've seen at Alabama in quite a while. As far as is almost, he, and he's and he's so big, he's almost like having an H back out there uh, as an outlet for a receiver. Oh, absolutely, and and you know I think that you know certainly he's not the same player as Josh Jacobs, but I think the. You know, the off-the-field stories are, are pretty similar. I mean, uh, you know, I don't think it's a secret anymore that, you know, he and his mom and his, his uh, siblings were homeless for a period of time, so it's not like life's come easy for him, at least off the football field. And certainly, you know, through, through his first couple years at Alabama, um, you know, he's had to really work hard at, at, you know, adjusting to the next level. Um, you know, certainly there's been some things, you know, in his game. You know, the the, the biggest thing that, you know, I've kind of noticed over the years with him is, is he has a tendency to get his feet tangled up and, you know, go down easier than you'd like to see, a, you know, such a big man at that position do. But he's really starting to feel himself and come into his own. I've always been a big Brian Robinson fan. Um, you know, he's just been a, you know, a byproduct of a stacked depth chart at that running back spot for, for a couple seasons now. But, you know, he's getting his opportunity and, um, you know, the guy, the one guy that I think had, has a chance, and, it, you know, at this stage in the game, we'll have to wait and see if it comes to fruition. But the one guy in that running back room that does remind me of Josh Jacobs to an extent is, is Killian Robinson. Um, you know, I think he's got the same home run threat ability anytime he touches the ball um, from what I've seen in limited touches. But um, you know, it was just a really, really good 
um, you know, production day, in my opinion, for the offense. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, Tua probably did have an off day for Tua, but like you said, I mean, I think most head coaches and quarterback coaches would, would be tickled to death at, at that type of an off day. So, um, you know, to, to me, I, I think the only um, missing piece of the puzzle I mean, and I don't think anybody, certainly none of us, we talked about this ad nauseum over the summer, and it's proven to be, you know, true, is is the one piece that they can't, um, and and they won't come close to all year based on what I've seen, but, you know, the the one piece of the puzzle for the 2019 season that they're not going to even come close to replicating from last year is going to be at the tight end position. I mean, that's just, you know, the blocking's terrible. Um, you know, there's nobody there that, you know, that runs a four five forty that's 250 pounds like Irv Smith was. So that's just something you just kind of got to, you know, put out of the back of your mind and hope for better things next year. Yeah, and you got to hope for Eric Gilbert uh, to sign with Alabama from Marietta, Georgia. Uh, I certainly like I, I certainly like D Beckwith from Florence High School in Alabama, but I don't think at this point that Alabama is going to make a move on him. We'll talk recruiting later, and we've got some outstanding audio from a trip I made to Birmingham on Friday night uh, to watch some uh, high-quality high school football over at Hueytown. I got a chance to watch Roy Dale Williams uh, and uh, Quindarius Mays, uh, two guys that I think you're going to be hearing from. Roy Dale already committed to Alabama. Quindarius is a junior wide receiver, but we'll have some uh, comments from both of those guys following that 56-7 to win over the unbeaten Bessemer City Purple Tigers, coached by Andrew Zhao, uh, you know, and of course, our good friends Antonio Langham and Granis and Wagstaff, all three of those guys, uh, you know, part of the University of Alabama and two of them during the time William was a part of the uh, program uh, in uh, Wagstaff and also uh, Antonio Langham. But uh, but we'll talk about that later. But uh, again, uh, the offense taking steps forward, uh, as we said, uh, Tua was a little off, but for him, still much better than, uh, you know, I- anyone else you're going to see, in my opinion, in college football. I, I still think he's playing the best football of anyone. He's got 27 touchdowns now, one interception on the year, 2,011 yards, and he's on uh, pace to shatter every single season record for Alabama. And uh, if he continues at this pace, he could even uh, break A.J. McCarron's all-time record with a season to go, even though we don't think he'll likely play that season in Crimson. With one full year of eligibility left, he could own all the records uh, at the University of Alabama. We certainly expect him to pass John Parker Wilson for number two, all-time in passing yards. He's already passed Brody Croyle for number three, uh, but uh, he will make a run probably for that top spot, which is a shade over 9,000 yards for A.J. McCarron, who, of course, played five years at the Capstone uh, from 2009 through two th- through 2013. So, uh, But we'll, we're going to continue to monitor Tua and what he's doing. And, and, and William, I think the one, the one thing just from talking to other people in the media and people that I respect in football is what we're seeing is, uh, Steve Sarkeesian is really taking hold with Tua. I think he's, uh, you know, uh, becoming more patient in what he's and how he's approaching the game. And I talked to Brent Zwerneman on my radio show this morning from the Houston Chronicle. He has covered Aggie football since 1995, and he said, "This is counting all Aggie QBs and all opposing quarterbacks that Tua is the best quarterback he's ever seen during his era. Step inside Kyle Field because of how calm he is and just." He thought he was in total control of Alabama's offense. Well, you know, I, it's, it's hard to agree or disagree with that because I don't know who all the, the, the quarterbacks, you know, have been that have played inside Kyle Field. But, right. um, I, 
you know, I, I know he's the best quarterback I've seen play in Bryant-Denny Stadium. Um, that's all I can comment on or relate to. Um, there's been a lot of good ones play in there. But, um, you know, that, I think that's – you know, Thomas and I touched on this before you came on last week, and I had to go. And uh, certainly um, he didn't do anything to disappoint, um, you know, my perception. And I, I don't I don't know if – I have no clue whether y'all even talked about this or if it was even broached. I'm just curious. Um, we, we, we talked about, you know, what a um, disappointment, especially to Aggie fans – um, that I think Jimbo's, you know, tenure has been so far when you factor in the amount of money that they're paying him and, and the half a billion dollars, um, you know, that they've invested in their facilities over there, which they, they really took an eyesore, in my opinion, in Kyle Field and turned it into one of the best-looking um, football stadiums in college football. But I'm just curious, did the did the guy from, from Houston, you know, say anything at all about their, the, the patience level starting to, to dwindle with Jimbo and College Station? Well, I asked Brent Zwornerman about that, what the feel was. And he said the fans, you know, have always been pointing to year three in 2020. And, and Brent has been trying to get them to pump the brakes because he was he's been there through, uh, you know, the tenures of R.C. Slocum. Uh, some probations, and, of course, now they've hired Jimbo. But as he said, he's still cleaning up the Kevin Sumlin tenure. Uh, and he said, you know, the, the, the thing that Jimbo's got going on right now is, he, uh, you know, uh, a good portion of that roster he didn't recruit. They were recruited by Kevin Sumlin. He inherited them. The offensive line right now is not very good, and we're going to talk about that in just an out against Alabama's front here in just a minute. Uh, but he just said, you know, to him, he said, if the Aggies have a chance under someone, they've got, or excuse me, under now that someone's gone to Arizona and they've got Jimbo Fisher, they've got to continue to recruit at the level they're recruiting at. But he points to 2021 because he said straight up, I do not think the Aggies will ever win an SEC uh, Western Division championship unless it's an odd year. And he goes, and you want to know why that is? Because Alabama and Auburn come to Kyle Field. He goes, now, this year they were not ready. He said it was obvious uh, that, uh, that he, he he felt like going into this year. He picked A&M to go 9-4. and four. He said he may have to adjust that uh, because of how brutal this schedule has turned into. Uh, but he just said overall, he said that he's still, he's still looking to year four and then for him to turn the roster over before he makes a judgment. But the fans are, you know, getting excited about year three, but he just doesn't see them being able to go to Auburn and Alabama and win both those games. Uh, and be a champion uh, in the SEC West, and he's probably right. I mean, I think Jimbo is on the right track, but certainly uh, this is this look this looks like another five loss season for them. Though we'll see. I mean, they're going to have opportunities late to win some games. Uh, they they uh, you know I didn't expect them to beat Clemson or Alabama, but I thought they would beat Auburn, and I think that's probably been disappointing to them losing to the Tigers. But certainly, I think Jimbo has still got some work to do. And quite frankly, I've never been on the Jimbo train. I think he's a good uh, offensive mind. He can develop quarterbacks, but his teams at times, uh, you don't play uh, consistent football. So we're just going to have to wait and see. I think he's recruiting well, but certainly uh, I, I didn't think coming into this year that they were going to challenge for the SEC West. Oh, no, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, expecting that either. And I don't think that's right. the expectation. And, and, and you know, um, certainly they haven't had the, um, 
you know, a couple of the head scratcher losses that you've seen Tennessee produce already this season. But it, it's it's just kind of interesting to me that, you know, Jeremy Pruitt inherited, in my opinion, a much worse situation from a roster standpoint. Yes. And, and the perception of the program um, than what Jimbo Fisher inherited from Kevin Sumlin. And uh, you, you, you can see the, the polar opposites of where the – uh, perception is right now. I mean, it sounds like Jimbo's still got the media in his back pocket, and they're they're still on his side. Um, I, you know, I just find that interesting because you know that's a, a ton of money. Um, you know, I, I've still you know got it in the back of my mind as to the condition that he left Florida State in. Not that Willie Taggart has done anything to uh, improve right. the situation down there. But, you know, he really mismanaged the roster at Florida State, lost a lot of recruits, you know, a couple of years removed from winning the national championship and having back-to-back um, appearances in the college football playoffs. So um, that, that's interesting that they've dummied down the expectation. And, again, I, I think that's probably the, the realistic expectation when you look at, you know, a rebuilding job, especially in the SEC. But, um, yeah, it sounds like they're willing to give Jim, Jimbo a lot more time than Tennessee's willing to give Pruitt at this standpoint. Let's just pick this up. So, you know, we're talking a little bit about Texas A&M and where Jimbo Fisher is with the program. And, and I just kind of want to echo – actually, I had a different thought. I legitimately believed that Texas A&M was going to push for second best in the SEC West, and we did just lose Drew. So I'll have to massage this conversation somehow. Um but I thought Texas A&M was going to end up being the second best in the SEC West because, frankly, I can I thought that uh, LSU was going to take a step back because I didn't see a lot of talent on defense. And shockingly, LSU did something that no one expected, and they opened up their offense. And then Auburn, you know, Auburn might be good every four years when they got five offensive linemen, but they didn't have the quarterback to do what Gus Malzahn wanted to do. And frankly, Gus Malzahn's not a very good football coach. So it's been a, it's been a disappointment for Jimbo, but you look at their schedule. Yes, they still have LSU in Georgia. It is seven and five. I know we talked about this a little bit last week, William. But now that we've actually seen you know the A and M Bama game, is seven and five going to uh, is it going to start being restlessness over in College Station, or is it is it as was said said everybody wait on year four. I got to be honest, in my opinion, if I'm a Texas A&M fan, when you factor in the resources, the recruiting base, um, if this ends up being a seven and five season and based on the schedule that you just um, rattled off, it looks like it's it's going to be that, um, then I think there's going to be a immense amount of expectations and pressure um, for year three. And if it's not a nine or a ten win season, and and you know pushing for second place in the West, then, then I think you're going to see a lot of hand wringing, and you know because I I, I would just say as, as a uh, rational Texas A&M fan, you know you've got to sit there and see, um, you know once Jimbo got deeper into his tenure at FSU, how that thing imploded. Um, you know, you know, once he lost Jameis Winston, you know, it, it went to hell in a handbasket quickly. And um, although I do think that the, um, you know, if the Francois kid had had a competent offensive line and 
um, maybe some better wide receivers that might have turned out a little bit differently. But him not having a competent offensive line falls on the shoulders of Jimbo Fisher. But yeah, I, I think, and that that's going to be, you know, in my mind, Thomas, where the emphasis has to be going forward. That's where I've seen that program take the biggest step back, is you know at the offensive line. I mean, they they were having some really really good offensive lines there under Sumlin and. Um, you know, all of a sudden that's, you know, and I think that was probably a, a byproduct of, you know, some people that he inherited and benefiting from, from uh, the Matthews brothers pumping out, you know, first-round draft pick sons. But, um, you know, I, I would certainly be scratching my head and expecting, you know, bigger and brighter things in year three. Um, you know, I, I just don't see how when you're paying that kind of money, uh, certainly with the guarantee that's attached to it, why you would be patient enough to, you know, settle for, for, for three, seven, and five seasons in a row. Um, you know, when, when you brought in a guy with the expectation that, you know, he's going to, you know, get all the good players from Texas, he's going to go to Louisiana and steal some, and, you know, you're not really seeing that happen at this point. So, and, you know, again, the the, the, the landscape has changed too. I mean, you know, Texas has had, um, you know, a little bit of success. Um, you know, certainly they're they're not doing as well this year as they did last year, but, you know, he's got that to contend with now as well. So it, it looks to me like, you know, the time for him to make hay on the recruiting front um, might be slowly slipping through his fingers, and we'll have to see if he can play catch-up. Fill me in. Where, where, the, where is the conversation gone? Just talking about uh, – we, we were just asking, you know, essentially if you were a Texas A&M fan, as you said, year four was when a lot of people were targeting. Right. But given the fact that Texas A&M staring down a seven and five season, you know, where are you if you're, you know, are you pushing the panic button if you're an A&M fan? Given, you know, ten years, seventy five million, blah blah blah. That was that was where we were, and William was just kind of and, breaking and, down and stuff. The, the, the e true Hollywood story though, Drew, is that Thomas threw me a softball and gave me an opportunity to bash Jimbo Fisher, and I, I hit it out of the park like he wanted me to. Well, I mean, I mean. And that, I, that, I, that, we call that good radio. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and I'm not a Jimbo guy either. So, I mean, I, you know, I think that he, he probably hasn't done quite as well as they had hoped early, especially the Auburn loss uh, in at Kyle field, because Auburn's a good football team, but not great. Uh, and, you know, and I think but one thing we've learned is he needs to be a lead at quarterback. I think that Kellen Mond is good, not great. Uh, he's going to have to hope that he can get the, uh, that kind of quarterback, such as a Jameis Winston, that he was able to get from Hueytown, Alabama. We'll see. Uh, but what I was going to say is, though, uh, before I got dropped, is you know we brought we brought up Jeremy Pruitt and what and then the roster he inherited. But another coach that inherited an outstanding roster, and it's not talked about enough, uh, and uh, he, it was an even better one than Jimbo has, is uh, Kirby Freeze. I mean, Smart, who threw up all over himself again against Will Muschamp on Saturday inside Sanford Stadium. I mean, when you, you guys saw that South Carolina football team, Alabama received criticism for winning by 24 on the road, and they were up by 31 with the, with the game winding down the last three minutes of the game. And this is a Georgia team that was at home that lost. And I don't know what it is about backup quarterbacks and Kirby Smart, but it wasn't even uh, the backup at South Carolina. The carry-on joiner is the third-string guy due to Bentley being out for the year and then Helensky going out in this game. Once again, they choke, and they've got an outstanding roster. He inherited a lot of talent and then enhanced it. 
you know, to me, I just thought once again, and I didn't think Will Muschamp coached a smart game necessarily either down the stretch, but I think there needs to be questions about Kirby Smart. The main th- the question I had about this Georgia team going into the year, I thought they started strong and they looked like a well-rounded team, but could they score enough points? And I think, uh, you know, it's starting to look like for me with Kirby – uh, that there's going to be questions about him being a younger version of Les Miles and not modernizing his offense and not being explosive enough to maybe be able to to score with some of these potent offensive attacks around college football. Well, I, you know, and I can't say that, you know, I think one is worse than the other, but, you know, he had an opportunity um, to, to, you know, make an upgrade higher um, at the OC position right. when Cheney left right. and went to Tennessee. And I don't think he did that at all. If anything, I thought that, that he went backwards. And not that I'm a big Jim Cheney fan myself, but, um, you know, but the, the biggest thing to me that I, that I found myself sitting there with my mouth open um, watching that, because that, once Helensky went out, I mean, I kind of immediately lost interest and, and you know, was, was spending more time watching my boy Jalen uh, play Texas then I, cause I, you know, I just thought it was over with, um, you know, when they had to go to the third team guy at quarterback. But the, the thing that just shocked me more than anything was, you know, the, the greatest offensive line coach in the history of college football, in some people's opinions, um, was supposed to put a product out there. All you hear about is all these great offensive linemen that they've signed and the great offensive line coach, and they couldn't even impose their will on a very, very average uh, uh, South Carolina front seven. Um, And I'll tell you something else that, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of questions about. You know, I I think you've got to, you know, raise the question and and circle his name in pencil for sure. Um, You know, this isn't the first big game, and that is a rivalry game for Georgia, even though they, on paper, they, they should have won by three touchdowns. Right. But, you know, there again, um, in, in a big game, Jake Fromm doesn't deliver. Um, you know, he, he was directly responsible, um, you know, for that loss with his three interceptions, one of them being a pick six. So, you know, there, there's I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think um, I, I totally agree with you. I think Will Muschamp is, is in the same boat as, as Jimbo Fisher um, in the standpoint that he's really good at what he's supposed to be doing. Um, you know, when he's got the, the, the players to do it with, and that's as a defensive coordinator. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know if he's the answer for any program trying to get to the next tier of the SEC, um, especially at a place that's inherently difficult to win at, like South Carolina. But, yeah, man, I mean, uh, the, the, the game plan that Georgia had, they never made really any adjustments. Um, you know, if, if Helensky doesn't get hurt, um, and, and, you know, that thing, you know, plays out the, the way he was moving the chains. I mean, that, that could have been ugly, um, you know, with the way that he started off. And, you know, I think he's, you know, one of the better true freshman quarterbacks that, you know, you weren't expecting to be really good. I mean, imagine if he had a competent offensive line and, you know, two of Alabama's wide receivers to work with. Because uh, he's a very, very good passer from what I've seen out of him, and I've only watched two games. But, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, – and I haven't paid any attention to the Georgia media this week to see what – I'm sure they're all still drinking the Kool-Aid. But that that is a huge, huge blemish. Um, you know, this isn't just being able to, to slay the dragon and get past Alabama. 
I mean, <laughs> this this is a, a you know a team that they were expected to beat and beat soundly. And man, you talk about laying an egg at home on national television. Um, you know, there's got to be some people over there. You know, I know he's the the prodigal son done good and come home and all that stuff. And I don't really fault him for, you know, trying to construct that program and, and, you know, at least from a a distance, you know, it looks like he's trying to replicate what they did at Alabama, you know, um, for so many years when they were able to beat people by running the ball and, and playing safe and, you know, taking some shots down the field, but, you know, winning on defense and winning by imposing their will and running the football on people. And, you know, man, if you can't do it on South Carolina, um, you know, they've still got some, some, some treacher. They got, they got a, a much better front seven to deal with coming up when they play Florida and Auburn. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Now I've got a little bit more confidence in, in, uh, you know, there's another quarterback that nobody's ever heard of that's, you know, um, I think that's a that's a nice story this year so far in college football is the trash kid at Florida. Yeah. Um, but you know yeah. that, that 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 Florida front seven is legit. Uh, they can keep that team in the game if if Dan Mullen can figure out a way to generate you know 24 to 28 points. They're going to be in all their games. Um, you know Auburn's front seven on defense is legit. So it's it's going to be real interesting to see. You know, especially now, you know, when, when Georgia went into that game, they didn't have any doubts. I mean, they thought that they were better uh, than everybody on their schedule. And, you know, that could just be a classic example of, you know, that having that mentality, um, you know, start to permeate your locker room, thinking you can just stroll out there on any given Saturday and beat whoever's on the other side of the ball from you. And, man, it, it blew up in their face bigly, in my opinion. It did. And I think this they're comparing it to the loss to LSU last year. But let's get real. LSU was the top 10 team last year and won a big six bowl and was a really good football team. I think South Carolina is an average team. Uh, so that, that that's some alarm for Georgia. I don't think there's any question about that. And we'll see if Kirby can – he's been able to overcome these losses before. Let's see if he can this time because not just Auburn and, and Florida do they have to play. they got to play Missouri, who's very dangerous with Kelly Bryant. Uh, you know, they did lose Kel Garrett, their best defensive player. But since, uh, you know, laying an egg in the opening game at Wyoming, they've played really good football. Uh, they beat Ole Miss 38-27. to That game will be in Athens, so that'll be to Georgia's benefit. Uh, but uh, Georgia does have some uh, some definite hills to climb before they get uh, uh, to uh, the uh, to Atlanta. And we, we I think we all thought, myself included, that they were going to cruise through the Eastern Division. Well, that's not the case anymore. Uh, after you know what they showed uh, against South Carolina, there are some questions without without a doubt. And as you said, Trask has been good for the Gators. They 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 played LSU really tough. Dan Mullen once again had a brain fart. To me, he I, actually some people are criticizing him for rotating quarterbacks. I'm not. I thought he did it in most cases intelligently. But when it's third and one, you bring in Emory Jones and you run the football and get the first down. You don't throw the ball to the back of the end zone. And then of course Trask throws an interception. You continue with your formula, you use it, and if Florida could have tied the game then, they would have had a chance to beat LSU. But Burrow was really good again. LSU's finally changed their offense, and so it's going to be really interesting to see going forward You know, uh, if, if LSU can continue to play at a high level in Alabama and the, the Bayou Bengals may end up with a game of the century too. But, William, how ironic. That game was 9-6, to six and people thought it was boring, and there was no offense. If, the, if these trends continue – 
there's going to be an expectation in that game in Bryant-Denny Stadium that it could be 45-38, to 38, and it could be a completely different kind of contest because of the potency of both these teams' offenses and both of them uh, kind of rebuilding on defense. Well, you know, we'll have to wait and see how, you know, Alabama's defense, you know, continues to develop. If they can, uh, you know, shore up some things, certainly, a, a, you know, like you saw Saturday, a healthy full speed uh, Terrell Lewis makes a yes. big difference in that defense. Um, you know, uh, you know, number 58, getting more reps and, more, and uh, yeah. get, getting in there and being, then allowing him to be disruptive like he is. You know, in flashes and every time, you know, every time they put him in there, um, he produces, in my opinion. Um, you, you know, I think, you know, the, the biggest difference that LSU is going to find um, when they play Alabama, um, and that, they might have seen a little bit of it. With I, I think Florida's got some pretty good cornerbacks, but I, I've got a lot of confidence in uh, Sertan and, and, and Terrell Diggs being able to, um, you know, neutralize that potent attack a little bit. I, I do like the, uh, you know, the safety play as well, especially when they get the benefit of a decent pass rush, um, you know, allowing them not to have to cover um, for very long. But, you know, there, there's still a lot of questions in my mind, um, you know, about the Alabama defense, specifically concerning Pete Golding. Um, you know, there's some things that I felt like he got that job for that I'm still not seeing results on. Um, you know, the the inside linebacker play still remains to be a mystery at times with some of the things that they do. And, yeah, I get it. They're true freshmen. Um, you know, there's times when the secondary looks lost. Um, you know, you could easily say the alibi for that is the lack of a pass rush at times. But I thought the pass rush was pretty good and pretty consistent. Um, you know, versus Texas A&M. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. There's still a lot of time for improvement, still another off week. Um, you know, they've got some, some you know, very, um, you know, winnable games with less than stellar competition coming up on the schedule. So we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. But, you know, the, the trend, if it continues, whether it's garbage time or not, you know, for, for – you know, a, a team that recruits at the level that Alabama does. And, and oh, by the way, uh, one of the reasons why there's two true freshmen starting an inside linebacker um, is there's been some severe, severe misses at that position group in consecutive recruiting classes. Um, you know, I, the, 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 just, just some of the confusion and the, the disorganization, I guess, is what bothers me more than anything. Right. And, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see how all that plays out. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and bash the guy. I've got some concerns and questions, but, you know, he's got more than enough time to answer that with the rest of the season. Well, I mean, uh, to circle back to Terrell Lewis, two sacks, 11 pressures. They, I said going in that he was kind of, I thought, one of the important guys after the bye week to see how healthy he was against A&M, and we saw it. And uh, William, uh, he, he's the one that can help take this defense to the next level because if they can get the kind of disruption and that level of play from Terrell Lewis the rest of the season, uh, he will be the first-round pick everyone's envisioned. I know he's been a little disappointing due to getting uh, nicked up some, and we had seen flashes of it, but I thought for the first time we saw it for almost an entire game what he could do on Saturday. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I've, I've never dinged him for um... – you know, you, you can't you can't fault a player for his body failing him over right. and over again, and that's what's happened to Terrell. 
um, you know, getting out there and trying to pretend like he's uh, um, Drake Kirkpatrick in, in uh, seven-on-seven work playing cornerback, um, that, that that was his fault. But, you know, he's a young kid. He's going to make some bad decisions. But, no, when he's healthy, I mean, he's as good as they come um, as an edge player. You know, he's got the, the um, you know, the explosion and the quick twitch ability to cause problems for offensive tackles in a one-on-one pass rushing matchup. You know, he's big enough and long enough to where he can get leverage and, and you know, set the edge on, on the running plays. And he's got a really, really solid player on the opposite side of the line, um, you know, basically playing the same position with different, you know, responsibilities and techniques over there in Anthony Jennings, you know, a high motor guy. I mean, he's, he's not quite as complete of a player as Ryan Anderson was at that position, but he's pretty damn close. Um, you know, another guy that's had to overcome a, a real severe injury. I think a lot of people forget that, you know, he was probably within inches of having to have his leg amputated at the knee two years ago. Gotcha. So he's another guy that's had to battle back from, from a very, very severe injury. Yeah, he has. And I think, he he probably had his worst game of the year. He had three penalties, but he still registered a sack. He's still been very consistent, Anthony Jennings, all season long. He and uh, Terrell Lewis on the field at the same time really create havoc. And then the next guy you talked about, I wanted to expand on it a little further. We've seen him in mop-up duty, and then we finally started to see them give him a chance to play meaningful snaps in a game that still hasn't been decided. But Christian Barmore registers a sack. I just really felt like when you in, when you put him and Terrell Lewis into the equation, the defensive front seven looks completely different because it's much more disruptive. Uh, it makes Raquan Davis's job easier, uh, Anthony Jennings' e- job easier, even Terrell Lewis, who uh, had the uh, two sacks and 11 pressures. I felt you, when you put him in on pass rush situations, he plays balls to the wall. I mean, he's just a 1,000 miles an hour. Uh, he plays with a lot of emotion and intensity, William, and uh, I just feel like he and Terrell Lewis can help uh, this defense become much, much better. Though the thing that encourages me, I've had questions about Pete Golding myself. I completely agree with you. But I do see the room for growth potential defensively, uh, and I'm, I'm really excited about guys like Barmore, uh, who continue to get more playing time, Byron Young, and, and a Boygby. I think a Boygby had a half a sack. But uh, Barmore uh, really excites me what he could bring to the table because they don't have a lot of film on him either. So he's someone that uh, people uh, he could end up continuing to be a problem for teams uh, that don't prepare for him as much as uh, others like Raquan Davis. Well, you know, and I think Thomas and I touched on him last week, and I, and I, I'll say it again. I mean, I think he's basically on the same, you know, to direct to trajectory. Excuse me, and uh, you know, the early playing time path that that Raquan was his first year. Um, you know, was a guy that struggled to qualify academically, which leads me to believe he's probably struggled to get the playbook down. But, you know, much like you saw with Raekwon, you know, his first year, um, when, when, you, when you get him in there and you turn him loose and he doesn't have a lot of, you know, stuff to think about, um, you know, the guy makes stuff happen. You know, like you said, I, I love his, uh, his disposition when he's on the field. You can tell he's excited, man. You can tell – his teammates are excited for him when he goes over to the sideline. And, you know, I think this defense needs more of that. You know, I think they need you – because know, you can tell, um, you know, even guys like a Bogby and, and, you know, I love seeing Byron Young out there. Every week you see him in there more and more in, in, in critical situations. 
um, you know, yeah, a lot of that has to do with, with the injuries and, and uh, you know, the, some of the losses that they've suffered at that position. But, you know, it also has to do with the fact that, that the coaching staff starting to trust him more and more. So, um, you know, you're really starting to see a lot of these, you know, babies that we were talking about back in August, you know, starting to grow up and, and you know, learning to play fast. The game's starting to slow down for them a little bit mentally. And, you know, I think the defense needs – um, some more of that infectious play and behavior from some of these young guys. You know, t- take the take the mistakes and the mental lapses as they are, and and you know let's let's play these guys some more. And uh, you know that that's really what I want to see in the second half of the season, and certainly until LSU um, you know comes to town, that they, they've got the opportunity to let that play out, and I and I hope they choose to do so because you know I can just tell you when when you look at Barmore. Um, and what he brings to the table, I mean, he's, he's you know, built like a damn interior defensive tackle, but he's got the length to play all the positions. Um, you know, I think he's a guy that's, you know, if he can put it all together, um, you know, I think the physical tools are where they need to be already. But, you know, if he can just put it all together, get the playbook down, keep working on his technique and, you know, be patient and then keep doing things and making explosive plays when he gets his opportunities, I, I don't see any reason why. Um, we shouldn't be seeing more and more of him as the season progresses. Yeah, and I mean, and the the one thing that I'm concerned about on the secondary, I think it's a good unit. X McKinney's a first-team All-American to me. He's played extremely well. Shy Carter really picked it up this past week, and I think he's going to finish his career like he should. He's an intelligent guy, knows you know what to do. You already mentioned Trevon Diggs. He's played well. I think Sertain has held up. The one question I have is about Jared Maiden. He made another mental error in the game. Uh, it, it, uh, Shane Lee was supposed to take the uh, the back out of the backfield. Maiden jumped that, left the tight end wide open. Uh, I, we've seen Jordan Battle continue to learn the trust of the coaches. What I hope happens down this stretch, I know he's had a little bit of a hand injury. They need Josh Job to have a much better second half of the season than he's had first. To me, he's been the most disappointing guy because I thought he was going to maybe be the missing ingredient to be ready to go this year. He's been a little emotional. He's made some mistakes in coverage. But if he'll come on, get healthy, and play to his talent level, I mean, no disrespect to Jared Maiden. Maiden will probably still have a role. But, you know, the less snaps he plays, I think the better. And I think Job can help this secondary uh, become elite. I think it's very good right now. But only one guy, can, uh, a weak link, can get you exposed. And I think right now that's Jared Maiden. Well, and I totally agree with you, and, and also too, you know, for for you know the the Job situation, you know, I, I think right now the coaching staff is probably in a in a wait and see mode. Um, you know, if he doesn't get his act together, you know, the, the, he may wait around and, and, and dick around too much, and Jordan Battle might. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that I've seen flashes from him. He's got everything you look for. Um, you know, in a DB, and um, you know we've seen it happen, especially over and over again at a at a program like Alabama with the way that they recruit. You know, you, you can't afford uh, you know too many bad performances, or, or you're going to be the one standing over there next to Pete Golding and, and wishing you hadn't you know made the mistakes that you had. Yeah, that's very true. And then and then as we're winding down the show, uh, we wanted to talk a little recruiting as well. Uh, I had a chance to uh, go uh, and watch uh, Hueytown High School, who was 6-0, and uh, ranked. They've been really in the top five in the state in 6A all year. And 
Bessemer City Purple Tigers under first-year coach, very familiar name to Alabama fans, Andrew Zhao, who spent time, uh, he spent uh, at one season at Oak Mountain as an assistant and then turned the Montevallo Bulldogs around and then had three solid years at Calera. He went to Bessemer City. He took uh, our good friend Antonio Langham, maybe the, I think the greatest corner in Alabama history, former teammate of Williams, who's his co-defensive coordinator and secondary coach. And he's got former Alabama linebacker Granis and Wagstaff as his other co-defensive coordinator. And I wanted to, to uh, bring you some audio. I had a chance to see Roy Dell Williams. I'll tell you guys, he's the real deal. I mean, I know he didn't go to a lot of camps or combines and stuff like that. Uh, and my good friend Freddie Kirby, who's, who did pigskin preps for set, for 20-plus years, was with me. He compares Roy Dell to Josh Jacobs. But we had a chance to see him. He lived up to the hype and more. He had 17 carries, to my count, 101 yards, two touchdowns. And here's the other part of it. Four catches, 91 yards, and another touchdown. Um, and he had over 200 all-purpose yards because he threw one pass uh, off of a trick play, completed it for 38. So he did so many things for Hueytown, and bl- he blocked. Uh, he did a very nice job, very, really good all-around back. And I was very impressed in their 56-7 to win. And also, remember this name, Quindarius Mays. He's 6'2", about 205. He's their wide receiver one at Hueytown. Alex Young, their 10th grade quarterback, is another prospect to watch. But Mays had three catches for 98 yards and three TDs of his own. And I wanted you guys to get some hear some audio I got from Roy Dell Williams after the game. We're here with Roy Dell Williams, Alabama football commitment, senior running back. I guess coming into tonight, this was a battle of unbeatens. So I'm from Huntsville, Alabama. My radio station is two hours away. We came to see this because we've been waiting on it all year. Talk about how well your team played in an environment like this tonight. Uh, a lot of a lot of crowd, a lot of social media, back and forth stuff. We played pretty well as a team, though, so we just had to sink in and focus in. And then you as a player, I mean, we've heard so much about you running the football last year, but the thing that struck me, because this is the first time I've seen you play live, is your all-around skill set. Talk about your performance tonight. Oh, you just have to be versatile, be an athlete, you know, here, there. Get the team open, set people, uh, set a lot of your receivers up, set the quarterback up. Other running back, Antonio Macy, played a good game. Q played a good game, which is overall team good. And then talk about your young quarterback. I thought he played a really nice game playing off of you and Mason. You guys are probably the best one-two punch in the state. But talk about how the young QB threw the football. Oh, he threw very well. You know, he, had, he came out a little shaky, but he got real comfortable. So we had to go over there and talk to him. And I, you, I was talking to Q about this. How do you guys kind of help him? move him along because he is a young kid but you and mason are seniors he's a junior how do you bring the young quarterback along uh, throughout the week just that practice work and chemistry uh film work just a lot of that and do you think you're i know you, you weren't a big camp guy you didn't go to a lot of these combines do you think you're underrated uh i guess you can say that i just i just don't look myself into that it's just a little extra stuff that i just don't intend to doing and then talk about your team so far you got to be really pleased with how you guys had a good, really good year last year, but I know there's bigger goals ahead. I heard you guys talking about it on the sideline. Talk about the team as a whole so far. Uh, the defense did a pretty good game, uh, played a pretty good game uh, overall. We got some things to shape up on offense, so just overall it's a team good one. And then, and then uh, overall, talk about I know you're a solid commitment to Alabama. When's the last time you visited, and when do you plan on returning? I uh, visited when – when did they play? They played I think Ole Miss. They played Ole Miss. Yes, sir. I went to the Ole Miss game, and – 
the coaches there, we just got a bigger relationship. And then are you going to be returning for LSU? Yes, sir, I will be. And then talk about the what you've seen out of them. What, what do you think of their season so far? Oh, they're going pretty good. Uh, running back's doing good. Rod receivers, you know, they call themselves the wide, uh, ride outs. Uh, Tua's throwing the ball really good. Defense is holding it down for them, so it's overall good. And I know you've been watching Najee and Brian Robinson. Do you see yourself fitting in really well with what they're doing because you're such a good receiver and runner? Uh, yes, sir. Just going there, putting in the work off season when I go in December. So I'm just going there to look forward to work. And then talk about uh, what your goals are the rest of this season. Uh, just to finish off strong, uh, get a better chemistry team, keep uh, team chemistry. Um, just overall, just get better throughout the weeks. And then, well, and then also, what did you think of your performance tonight? You had nearly 100, 100. You had 101 rushing. I had you on there, and then you had 91 receiving. Talk about yes, your performance. Uh, I did pretty good. I could have did better. I had a couple of plays where I missed a couple of blocks, and that was on me. So overall, just a team effort, but I did pretty good myself. So I just got some stuff to work on during the week. One final question. Do you pride yourself on being a great all-around player? Yes, sir. And what do you think you need to work on most on your game right now? Uh, right now, my blocking, uh, my footwork. I, I slip a couple of times, so just that overall. And what Alabama staff member do you stay in contact with the most? Uh, Coach Scott. Uh, Coach, Coach Scott, yes. Coach Scott, yes, sir. And then uh, what do you think about one more? What do you think about tomorrow? What's the prediction against A&M? Blowout. <laughs> <laughs> Great job, man. Thank you. I was still, I'm still nervous. And now what we're going to do, everyone, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Roy Dell Williams. We are going to let you hear from a junior wide receiver I just talked about. Three catches, 98 yards uh, for him. But 6'2", 205. I got, he's hearing from mid-majors right now. If he can uh, get his 40 time down this summer, I think he's definitely going to be someone you're going to be hearing about in the cycle next year, uh, maybe as an Alabama or Auburn prospect. Uh, and that's Quindarius Mays, who was wearing an Alabama towel, by the way. Uh, on uh, on his uniform, but Quindarius Mays was outstanding. Three catches for 98 yards and three TDs, and I got these thoughts from him. A big game tonight. Uh, so I think yeah, four receptions, 103 yards, and uh, last three of them all went for touchdowns. Good so uh, y'all are usually known as a run team, but y'all really took to the air tonight. Uh, what can you say about you know what y'all are able to accomplish tonight, and you know what can y'all go do do even better going forward? Um, when we when we watch film this upcoming Sunday, we're just gonna watch the little things and come back out on practice next week and. Do what we got to do to win our next game against McAdore. And uh, how do you just feel about your own performance tonight? You know, going out there and being able to do what you did. Uh, it was good. But I couldn't do it without my O line, my QB. You know what I'm saying? Being able to give it out to me and the O line giving him time to look at me. Excellent. And right, talk about your young quarterback and his growth. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really delivered the ball well tonight. Yes, sir. Um, he's young. He got a lot to learn, but he's slowly progressing, and he's gonna have a good season. And then talk about how your game, I mean, you made a count. I think three receptions, three scores. You were loose all night. Talk about how you played. Um, I just feel I had to do what I had to do, make plays so we can have a win. And we got the, we got the dub. And then talk about the, the, the season as a whole for your team. I mean, you, you could have you could have expected a better performance to come yes, out against an undefeated team and play like this. Yes, sir. Um, we just take it game by game. Our coaches be on us every week. We work hard, and it's paying off. And then – I talk about your teammates as well. Talk about Roy Dell's performance. He had uh, 100 yards rushing, nearly 100 yards receiving. So he, he do that every game. He he do his thing. He it's, it's Roy Dell. You know what I'm saying? It's just him. Do you think you're arriving now as a player? Yes, sir. But I still got a lot to work on. Little things that I say. And, yeah. and uh, what schools are contacting you right now? Uh, I just visited UAB for a game visit, and Troy they want me to come up there. 
and South Alabama, they want to come to a game too. And uh, talk about the going forward now. You got to stay focused. You got a tough game on the road at McAdory next week. Uh, uh, we're going to have to watch their film, see what they do. And we're going to go off our plays and try to beat them and see what we can do. Absolutely. Great, great game, man. Thank you. William, really quickly, uh, your thoughts. I know you've watched some film of Roydale Williams. I was That was my first time. I've, I've seen film, but that was my first time seeing him up close. The thing that struck me is how well-rounded a running back he is. He's probably in the 5'10", 190, 195-pound range. I think he's without a doubt a five-star after seeing him play because this was a high-quality opponent that he was going up against. But your thoughts on Roydale Williams and what you've seen of him on film? Well, you know, he, he's a kid, Drew, that, you know, especially for people who live in the Birmingham area like I do, you know, he, he burst onto the scene as a ninth grader. And uh, so, you know, we've been hearing, you know, about the, his exploits for a number of years now. And, you know, he committed to Alabama so early in the process. Um, and, and, you know, this is a good year, um, you know, for running backs. I think he's, you know, and I think this happens to a lot of kids that, you know, maybe they, they aren't, you know, six foot one and 215 pounds or, you know, six two, two thirty, like Najee Harris. Um, you know, I think that happens to some kids um, in a lot of cases when they commit real early in the process is they, they tend to get overlooked and the recruiting services don't circle back around and, and do a reevaluation. I certainly think he is uh, somebody that you might see get a bump from one of them, deservedly so, um, you know, when they reevaluate stuff after the season's over with or it might take a good all-star game performance. Um, but regardless, I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, <clears throat> Nick Saban, um, has done a phenomenal job over over his uh, tenure at Alabama and, and going out and evaluating running backs, especially ones that have not been uh, highly recruited by people. Mark Ingram, you know, Josh Jacobs are some of the ones that you know come to my mind right off the bat. Um, and and you know he he thinks they're five stars, and that's all that matters to me. And I certainly think Roy Dell is deserving of that ranking, but. Yeah, he, he's been, you know, wreaking havoc on, on the Birmingham metro area, Drew, for a lot of years now and having a great senior season. You know, at this stage in the game, you just got to hope if you're an Alabama fan that he stays healthy and finishes his senior um, season out on a strong note and, um, you know, gets down to Tuscaloosa and starts putting into work for, for the 2020 season. You know, with the way the injury situation <clears throat> always seems to play out, you know, he may have to, you know, see some duty as a true freshman next year. But I think he's a phenomenal player. I think he's got all the the skill set that you want from a from a big time SEC running back. And um, you know, kind of like you saw Alabama get Brian Robinson from Tuscaloosa. You know, they came 40 more miles, you know, east and and you know got Roy Dell. And I think he's got a chance to be a very very good um, SEC running back. Like you said, I mean, he can run the ball, he can catch the ball, he can do it all. Yeah, and uh, we'll have to see where. Uh, Quindarius Mays goes from here, but he's impressed a lot of people as a junior, and uh, he's still got you know a, a full year uh, to decide his future and uh, and improve. And if he continues to get better, I think he'll be an SEC level prospect, no doubt. And and from what we're hearing tonight, Alabama Javon Walker, who's uh, from McEachern High School, the wide receiver, he's been hinting at Alabama getting another commitment. He's claiming it's not Jamil Burroughs who's supposed to commit this week. Uh, who's his teammate at McEachern, who decommitted from Georgia. Many people believe he may end up in the class at Alabama. He's, uh, you know, a guy that's uh, uh, a, 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 a an interior defensive tackle type, maybe a nose guard. 
Uh, but uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if he's uh, if he's the if he's the guy. There's even uh, thoughts that it could be Arik Gilbert, though it was thought Arik might uh, wait a few more weeks before committing. But maybe he may pull the trigger. That would be huge uh, for Alabama. But it definitely looks like uh, they're going to get another commitment, uh, you know, in the coming days, and we'll have a chance probably to talk about that on our next BAMS Radio as we take a look at the 102nd uh, uh, meeting between Alabama and Tennessee. Uh, as Alabama will face the Vols. And uh, real quickly, as we're wrapping it up, I know we haven't talked a ton about uh, the Vols specifically. We did talk about Jeremy Pruitt and the roster he inherited, but it wasn't a great roster under any aspect. Uh, and uh, Tennessee did get a nice win over our rebuilding Mississippi State team, William, 20-10 to 10 last week. But we've never seen a spread like this, 35-point favorite Alabama over Tennessee. I don't see how this game is going to be really close. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, maybe – uh, you know, I hate to put it this way, but that if that Nick Saban might take pity on Jeremy uh, and play a lot of young guys and, and the Vols may end up being able to save face and where Alabama doesn't cover the spread. But it still looks like to me it's going to be a 13th straight win over the Vols for Coach Saban. And I mean, I'll go ahead and make a pick. I, I would say somewhere along the lines of 52 to 10. Uh, but what is your take? on uh, what Nick Saban and Alabama and how they match up with Tennessee. This looks like one of the biggest mismatches in the history of the series. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I can certainly see it creeping closer to 20 points with some, you know, late scores like this defense for Alabama has shown a tendency to give up after the game's in hand. But um, certainly don't think it's going to be close. I certainly don't think they're going to go to the locker rooms at halftime uh, with it being a nail-biter like it was um, when Tennessee played Georgia a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, certainly I don't think Nick Saban is going to try and run the score up on Jeremy Pruitt by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> they, they, they've got a very close relationship, and there's a lot of mutual respect there. So, um, I, But, no, I, could it, could, do I see it ending up 52-10? to 10? Certainly that's very feasible, but – um, I, you know, I just think that you, you'll probably see, you know, them eke out a, a, you know, a couple field goals or another touchdown, and you know, maybe 52 to 17 might be a little bit more um, the way I see it right now. But you know, what's the difference really? And Thomas, what about you? This, uh, this, there, I know you like to break down the analytics and the numbers, but it just seems like there's really not a this. This is not a, a difficult matchup to size up. Um. Let me put it to you this way, Drew. The second that I saw the 35-and-a-half-point line, and given what we've seen from the Tennessee Volunteers this year in spot duty, you know, losing to directional school in Georgia, and then getting absolutely wrecked after halfway through the second quarter by the non-directional school in Georgia that just choked all over themselves to South Carolina. To, since, since you're a radio personality, you can't say it anymore, but the peckerhead got cut down to size by the Gamecocks. Yeah, you had to take that, take that double entendre for what it's worth. Anyway, excuse me. So I didn't look at the stats in this game because Alabama is going to win by 50. Um, the only reason Alabama will not win by 50 is because Nick Saban is not going to embarrass Jeremy Pruitt because he's a former coach that worked for Nick. And... He just isn't the kind of guy that wants to drop 100 on a team. But even Jeremy Pruitt said this week in his press conference that Alabama could score 100 on whoever they wanted, including Tennessee. And Pruitt's not wrong. So, I mean, overall, I've got 55-10. I think it's going to be one of those things where 
Alabama is going to come at, go in at half, maybe 42-7, Tua will get one series, and then it'll be time to build the depth along both the offensive and defensive lines, and you know, just overall. So it's going to be a blowout. Another one to uh, celebrate. I actually am traveling this weekend, so I'll be in the Eastern time zone. But the cigar is still going to taste sweet, and I'm still going to enjoy the hell out of it, Drew. Yeah, and as we wrap this up, sometimes people just need to not poke the bear. I just said this. Uh, Tennessee senior outside linebacker Daryl Taylor uh, said today to the media in Knoxville that Alabama's strength is the wide receiver core. They can catch the ball and get downfield well. When asked about Tua Tungavailoa, he said, I think Tua is decent, and he knows how to get those guys the ball in a lot of different situations. If you're Sweet a baby Jesus. Yeah, I mean, just you're a 35 point favorite clown. What are you doing? Don't insult Alabama, especially when you're going into their house and you haven't won since you were like five years old. So I just I, that's not a really uh, six, seven, whatever, eight years old. If you're Daryl Taylor, you just you don't poke the bear. That's going to be plastered all over Alabama's locker room, and then I expect Tua Tungvaluwa to take Tennessee apart because Tennessee just doesn't have the horses. They don't have the offensive and defensive line to hang with Alabama, and this is going to be a mismatch. As I said, I got 52-10. to 10. William, I know William's got it to be in a lopsided contest, and Thomas has got 55-10, but I think this is going to be a 13th straight sweet victory over the Tennessee Vols. And, you know, uh, for people that remember Philip Fulmer and what Alabama went through in the early, uh, you know, 2000s and before that in the mid-'90s, you never can beat Tennessee too many, more, too many times. And so it's still sweet to beat them and continue to dominate them and to listen to their call-in shows after when they realize just how bad they are and how uh, long and, uh, you know, the, uh, and how what the, 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 just the, the schism and just the, 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 the difference in the programs right now and how far they have to go before even thinking about beating Alabama. And I think that's going to be uh, – you're going to see another mismatch like that on the field Saturday inside Bryant Denny Stadium, but we want to thank everybody. I, for I do want to say one ahead, quick thing. Ahead, one, one quick thing that I'm looking for in this game, and we we kind of we nibbled around this thing, this this point uh, against Texas A&M. Terrell Lewis had three quarterback sacks or hits. He yeah. had 11 pressures. The defense had five sacks total mm-hmm. and 20 quarterback hurries. I want to see that sort of production continue because I know we LSU is still weeks away and injuries can happen and blah, blah, blah. But the one thing, because people are already asking me about the LSU game, the one thing we have not seen is how Joe Burrow reacts to, and here's your shout out to William, organic pressure. If Alabama, Alabama did that against Kellen Mond, if Alabama then does that against Jarrett Garantano or Brent Maurer or Jeremy Pruitt or whoever the heck the volunteers are going to trot out at, at the quarterback position this Saturday, that starts creating an, a series of evidence, a series of data points to say, you know, maybe Alabama can pressure Joe Burrow in a way that the LSU team has been, hasn't had to face because, and this is, I'm loading up the hot take cannon and going to fire it off. The loss of Jabari Zuniga and Jonathan Grenard. Zuniga played with a high ankle sprain until the middle of the third quarter. Grenard was lost to an ankle issue in the second series of the LSU-Florida game. Those losses to that defense, considering what Florida wants to do, were as big as the loss of Dylan Moses and Joshua McMillan. You could even argue it was bigger because 
the backups didn't have time to really get prepped to play major minutes. So, you know, something I'm really looking forward to this weekend against Tennessee is does the thing that we saw against A&M carry forward to Tennessee in terms of defensive ability for the defense to generate pressure? But go ahead, Drew. Yeah, that's a great point, and I want to see if they build on it as well. I mean, they should dominate this Tennessee front, both offensively and defensively, uh, and whether it's Brian Maurer, a true freshman, or Jarrett Garantano, uh, the junior, who's uh, had you know, middling success, Alabama should dominate this game, and that's what they need to do. Go out, dominate it, then move on to Arkansas, and then, of course, a bye week, and then uh, LSU. But we're going to see you know, if they can uh, continue to play well. Uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, a, a huge test for Pete Golding to keep the guys focused and playing hard on every snap. And I think youth like C- Christian Barmore and Terrell Lewis just being healthy and wanting to continue to play. I think it's precious to him because he's missed so much time. We really haven't seen a lot of him. And I think he's going to take every game uh, and, uh, and, 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 and treasure it being out there with his brothers playing football. So uh, just really looking forward to it being out there in Brian Denny's team. We'll see the new LED lights on Saturday night as it's going to be an 8 o'clock kick. But we'll be with you next week to rehash it, probably go over some recruiting news for Alabama, hopefully some more additions to the recruiting class, and, of course, a recruiting weekend. They've got a nice list of prospects uh, that are slated to be in uh, Tuscaloosa. But for William Redfish Barger, for Thomas Watts, we appreciate your patience with us tonight. We thank you for listening to BAMS Radio. Good night, and we'll talk to you next week. Roll Tide.